What happens is over time, I hope it happens to everyone, it's happened to me, is it starts being less and less and less about you and more and more and more about other people. Welcome to a special edition of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, recorded live at the Game Changers Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode features a discussion I had with America's preeminent trucking attorney, Joe Freed, Mass Towards Powerhouse, Rupa Luhana, one of the nation's most successful law firm owners, Alexander Shinara, and the godfather of legal marketing himself, Harlan Schillinger. And so, you know, I'm, you've heard me say it before, I think the only life worth living is, is a life that's dedicated to making the world better, making other people better. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This incredible lineup of legal power players joined me live at the Game Changers Summit to discuss how to stay ahead in the ever-changing legal landscape, how to become the most credible person in the room, and why client experience is the ultimate competitive advantage. You have to engage connect with your clients, because at the end of the day, it's that experience that they have. I mean, you can get them a fantastic settlement, you know, verdict, whatever, you can do that for them, but they're gonna remember how you treated them during that process. They're gonna remember if you listened to them, if you were there for them. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Well, this is the Power Players panel. Let's get right to it. We've got some interesting questions. I deeply respect every single one of you up here. I know that you guys have done a phenomenal job building your brands and even the brands of others. So I want to kick things off. Rupal, I want to start with you because recently you guys signed on Najee Harris. I don't know if you guys know Najee Harris. Okay. Pittsburgh Steelers used to play for the University of Alabama. Um, if you could talk through like that decision in terms of associating Najee with the firm, how you guys decided why he was the right fit. I mean, it, the opportunity arose where we could work with a Pittsburgh Steeler, and he embodies everything our firm embodies. Our firm motto is doing good by doing right every day in everything you do. And he also has a foundation where he gives back. Najee is a 23-year-old kid who's gonna be a superstar. I was so impressed and blown away with his core values. Um, he grew up with a single mom, five kids, grew up in the homeless shelter, and just has such perspective. He told me this story about uh, his mother coming home late from work. She used to take the BART, that's the subway, and he'd stay up at night. And he's like, I need to change the situation. I need to lift us up. And he's like, that was a lonely road, but I knew what I had to do. And so for someone like that to have that kind of perspective at the age of 23, like we were aligned. So his foundation is doing amazing stuff, giving back to the community, giving back to the kids in these homeless shelters. And with our, we do a lot of community outreach in Pittsburgh and the rest of the country. And so it just worked. It, it was a good union. I love it. All right, Joe, you were one of the most prolific content creators in this room in the sense that you've given a trucking presentation, I believe, every week 
for 10 years straight. I want to know like what like what leads to that type of consistency? Like what is your process? And then um, how do you maintain that momentum? Well, people keep asking, Michael, so I keep doing it. No, you know, when I, when I set out, and it's really a lot of the message that you gave earlier, um, to me, I didn't, I didn't worry about the money. I just, to me, it was about brand from the beginning. It was about the idea of, I just want to be associated with trucking in every single way that I could. I remember thinking, I, I, need, I need cases. I don't need to care where I am. I mean, I, I just need, if people look on Pacer, I need my name associated with truck cases. I wanted to be the guy who, uh, everywhere you turned, if it was about trucking, you'd see me. And, and that's, that's what I've been doing for, for a long, long time now. And it's, um, you know, in terms of momentum, I think part of it is I'm afraid to stop because it's where I get my sense of purpose. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Um, if you hear what I'm saying, I'm afraid to lose that. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've worked really hard to make this not only about me, but about bringing an army of people together who really know how to handle truck crash cases at a different level. Um, and now those people are nipping at my heels. <laughs> so I'm afraid to stop. I don't know how to say it other than that. But I, I, I know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my, with my life. And that makes it a lot easier to keep going. And Joe, I remember you said this to me last year when we were doing the podcast, and it ties into the, the, the concept of leading yourself, which we've been talking about today, of these expectations that it's almost like you've created now that other people have for you and in terms of your outcomes in the courtroom and perhaps the, the pressure that that creates for you in terms of creating this magic every time you go to trial because you're Joe Freed. How, how does that, I mean, I guess, how have you either embraced that or how have, you know, um, how have you approached that? Well, my whole life, uh, Michael, is an, is an exercise in fear management. And I think that, you know, I have this idea, this fear that I'm only as good as the, the last time out. And so it is, it is weird for me. You know, I mean, now if I go to trial, I turn around and I look and it's a full, it's a full courtroom. And, I, and it takes me a minute and I go, wait, those people are here to see me either succeed or fail uh, in the process. And that's, um, it, it does ramp the pressure up. Uh, at the same time, I feel, I look around and I see faces of people I love. It's like I look out here and um, I know there are, there are, I'm not saying there are haters here, but there are, haters, there, there are haters in the world. But most of the time I look out and I see faces and I see people going, yes, go get them, you know? And it, it gives you, you know, I remember the first time it happened, turning around and just, I'm scared to death in a courtroom all, all, all these years later. You know, I still get, I still get scared, and maybe I shouldn't admit that in this setting, but I do. I'm afraid for my client. I'm afraid I'm not going to do enough. I'm afraid I'm, afraid I'm going to forget to know how to admit a photograph into evidence. I mean, I, I forget all, I, I'm worried about all those things, but then I turn around and I'll see Kevin Swenson in the, in the audience, and he'll smile at me like he is now, and I, and I just know everything's going to be okay. Or I'll see somebody else I know, and I just feel a... I know I'm not in this alone. And there's no better time to do what we do than now, right now, especially being a plaintiff's attorney. No better time. The sense of community that's been built, the sense of willingness of people who are at the head of their games, you know, to, to take time out of their world and to help you grow and to help, we, we help each other. We go to the office on a weekend to find something to send to somebody else. 
it, it really warms my heart to see this, the, um, the level of camaraderie, the level of sharing, and it definitely rises. You know, it's definitely a, a, a rising tide. So there's no better time, and it's, it's encouraging. Thank you. And, okay, slow clap. In regards to we all start out somewhere, and the journey going up step by step, it is very, very difficult. And it was difficult for 15 years for me. But the last five years, I guess, as we, I guess year 15, we felt like we were at the top of our game, in Alabama at least. But as we've moved forward, I mean, staying on top, it's everybody's after you constantly. Everybody's trying to emulate you. Everybody's trying to do everything you do. I make jokes, but I mean, I could dress up in a gorilla suit in Alabama, and then every single person would dress up in a gorilla suit. So you're having to constantly reinvent yourself, do different things to differentiate yourself, Michael, from the competition. And I'm curious, with, with all the branding, when I was showing that you've got people dressing up as you, your billboards for Halloween and right. you know, the billboard beach towels, how long did that take? When did you feel like that started to really take effect? Because I imagine it wasn't right out of the gate. No, I would say, look, we consistently did, you have to consistently do marketing for at least a decade. And that's a huge financial commitment. But once we made that financial commitment and we constantly worked on it every single day, at some point, you know, it stuck, it resonated. And I think that's where people go wrong. They just stop and they don't consistently believe in the long process. Was there some experience? I mean, how did you learn that lesson? Like how did, because like you said, most people don't stick with it. Why, you know, why did you stick with it? Just looking at corporate America mostly, looking at how they have never stopped. I mean, all these historical companies, they're doing now more, like you know, Google, Apple, all the big companies. Why do they consistently keep spending money? Because you don't want to lose market share. And Harlan, I want to shift gears. So this morning when I spoke about leading yourself and when you retire, you expire. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you retired a couple of years ago, retired a couple of years ago, and, uh, and yet it seemed like you kept working every day. What's, what's kind of been your thought process around retirement? Uh, it's a myth. Uh, <laughs> I think I've retired three times. Uh, when I left and retired from my agency five or six years ago, I took a week off because I, I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do. I knew I was gonna do something, and I just needed some space, and then uh, I went to work. And, uh, and in retirement, if I want to call that, you know, I'm putting in 40, 50 hours a week, a uh, bunch of trips. You know, we work, we work pretty hard. But, you know, what would I do if I retired? I, 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 I play golf. I ride motorcycles. I spend time in South Dakota. And so retirement, I don't know what retirement is. You know, you, you got to you just continue to do things that you like. And if you have passion, like you know what Joe and Rupal and, and Alex said, you know you have passion. You just don't retire. You're not an athlete that you know you wear out your 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 uh, your muscles. You know at 35 years old. You know I'm going to be uh, I'm in my 70s, and and I, I I feel good about it. The reason I think I don't want to retire, I don't know what that is, is because I'm excited about what's going on. And you know as as uh, as Joe said. This is the time, you know, I've been in this advertising game since in the legal end since 1977. And you've seen so many different things that took place. But right now, we're in a very big change and I, and I like it, it's, it's exciting. 
you know, I, I love working with you and your, and your staff. They're all millennials. And I'm the old guy. What do they call me, Uncle Arl Harlan? You know, and, I, and, and that energizes me. But, you know, during the pandemic, we did what? I know you did a lot of podcasts. I did about 45. They called on the gray hairs. That excites me, not because I have something to do each day. It's because we're adding value. And, and, and you know, what you said, Joe, you're adding purpose. I mean, we all have purpose. And when you have purpose, you have value and you have passion. Can I make a real quick Please. comment about that? You know, it, what happens is over time, I hope it happens to everyone, it's happened to me, is it starts being less and less and less about you and more and more and more about other people. And so, I, you know, I'm, you've heard me say it before, I think the only life worth living is, is a life that's dedicated to making the world better, to making other people better. So, you know, so my goal, you know, earlier you asked us to write a goal down. My goal was that every lawyer in my firm makes over a million dollars in a year. I don't really love to define goals financially like that, but what I'm really telling myself is my, my role now in the world is to be a leader in my firm and, and to bring up these, these other people. It's gotta become less about Joe Freed and more about other people. And I, I, to me, that's what retiring means. Retiring just means a, a, a process of, of, of bringing other people up and putting them into a position where they can take maybe something that you started or spent a career working on and take it even to a higher and better level. Let them, let them succeed. Help them to succeed. That's, to me, what I want the next chapter of my life to be about. Awesome. Joe, I want to follow up on, on this. So it, it seems in recent years, you've not just been focusing on, on education, but you've been very open and vulnerable and really talking about you know, issues even relating to mental health and even beyond that. Um, was there something that happened or some experience that you had that kind of led to that shift of you starting to share those things? Well, damn you, Michael Mogul. Um, I... I'm not very proud of who I once upon a time was. I'll just be honest with you. I was not an honest person. I was not somebody who, um, I would lie about things when the truth was good enough. I mean, I felt about this big. I now understand where that came from, but we don't have enough time to, or you don't have enough patience to suffer through that story. But there were some things that happened in my life that started, frankly, with my exposure to the Trialers College and some of the psychotherapy that, that you do there, if you go there, you start doing something called psychodrama. And I got to start to understand why I was doing some of the things I was doing um, and where that was coming from and why I didn't like myself so much. And um, I made a commitment in the early 2000s. I remember where I was and when, it, when I was very, very distinctly. I made a commitment that I was gonna start to live honestly and so that was a process that started there. And there were, then there were, within a few years, there were some spiritual things that happened to me. I'm happy to talk about those, but I don't want to offend anybody or get canceled, so to speak. Um, but I'm happy to share that with anybody who's interested. Uh, but everything started to change. And it took a process for me to become honest with people who were, quote, friends. And I found out real quickly who were and weren't. 
Um, it took time for me to become honest with my family, especially with my wife. Uh, we went through some dark times because of that honesty, but we came out the other side and I've been married almost 30 years. And I told somebody at the table that I'm sitting at, I finally feel like my marriage is real, if that makes sense. And so that's been the process of my life. And I think that that's maybe what the big guy upstairs intended the process of my life to be. So um, it's a, lo a long, short answer to a process. It's been a journey that I'm still on, and I hope I continue to improve in it. I'll probably continue to improve by failing along the way and picking back up. But it's about becoming honest, and it's made me a better trial lawyer, because now I don't fear the things that I used to fear, because I know I've made a commitment that, that I jokingly say, you want to know what the trick is to being viewed as the most credible person in the courtroom? You just have to wake up every single day of your life and make a commitment that no matter what, come hell or high water, however it's perceived by others, you are going to be the most credible person in the courtroom or in, and in every other room that you enter. And then when you fail, you have to make the commitment that you're going to own it honest, with as much honesty and without trying to deflect as possible. And so when you, when you adopt that, miraculous things starts to happen in your life. And, and the, the, the real contraintuitive thing is what you learn is that when you are vulnerable, instead of people rejecting you, which is what I always thought would happen, the why did I lie? Why was I doing that? Why was I dishonest? Because I thought that people would see me and reject me, right? And I see some people nodding along with me and maybe you know what I'm talking about. But here's the crazy thing. When you start to live honestly, that doesn't happen. When, you, when you're willing to be shockingly vulnerable, what ends up happening is you become shockingly credible. For good reason, you are credible. And people's BS meters start to see that and they go, wow, that guy is, I can't believe that plaintiff's lawyer just admitted that, right? But when you make, make the decision to be honest, just crazy things happen. And they, they, crazy things happen in courtrooms, crazy things happen in mediations, crazy things happen behind closed doors with your spouse, with your children and with the other people in your life who, who mean something to you. So give it a try if you're where I was, if you want, and I still am, I mean, I'm still a work in progress. I remind myself that, or other people do all the time. <laughs> um, so, but I don't, I don't wanna, I'll keep going and going and I don't wanna steal the time here. But. We'll speak. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Every time Joe says something, it ends with a clap. Um, Joe, it's almost like you should host your own conference I should try that, maybe in the trucking world? There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> so speaking of commitment, Rupal, I want to come back to you in, in the sense that uh, whenever I speak to high performers, I often hear that like whatever it is they're in the middle of, they say this is the last time I'm doing this. <laughs> like whether it's like an Ironman that they're running or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you've been involved in numerous litigations, like mass tort litigations. You've been in leadership roles. And it's funny, when I speak with you and you're in the middle of it, you're you're like, I, mean, I can tell you're just so involved and so dedicated and committed, but then I'll ask you, okay, so you're gonna, you're, you're gonna take a break after this, or you're gonna be done after this, and you're like, no, I'm already on the next one. If you can kind of speak to that, what, what drives you? It's my passion. I'm really committed, and I wanna hold these terrible companies that continue to do what they do. They put profits over safety again and again. So I'm working on a Zantec litigation. I'm in leadership there. I'm the chair of ESI. It's been going on for almost two years. It's a drug that was on the market for 40 years, Zantac, I'm sure everyone's heard of it, because everyone used it. It was a billion dollar blockbuster drug. 
and entered the Guinness Book of World Records because that's how much GSK sold of this drug for 40 years. And it has a potent carcinogen in it that's been banned since the early 2000s that causes cancer in every and any species tested with this thing. And this has been in this drug for 40 years. And not only that, they prescribe this drug to babies, to pregnant women, and millions of other consumers. So it gets me, my anger drives me. My anger, my passion, holding these people accountable. And so the other litigation I got involved with is Paraquat. Same thing, it's a weed killer that causes Parkinson's disease that's been banned in China. And China sells it to the companies here for it to be sold here. China, a place that doesn't give a damn about environmental laws, you used to send your batteries to be burned there. And that product is banned there and it's sold here by the EPA. So it's just tragic that it ha and you know, I'm like, maybe you know, they didn't know. They always know. And so I wanna make sure my clients and all these clients get their day in court and these guys are held accountable. Because once we get there, they're gonna pay. So. How about that? And if anyone happens to have some either Zantac or Paraquat case, they can send them to Chafin Luhana? Yes. Okay, okay. Speaking of which, Alex, I know you've sent a lot of cases to Eric and Rupel. What, what about, you know, what about what their firm and what they do uh, kind of makes them kind of the go-to when you refer those well, cases? first of all, I became good friends with Eric and Rupel, but just getting to know Rupel, Rupel is one of the most honest, straightforward, and one of the smartest lawyers I've ever met. But it is the passion and all the things she just said that make me feel comfortable in referring my cases to her. Um, because I know she believes in a project. She just doesn't get in a project just to get in a project. And it's not always just about the money. And so I trust and I joke with her all the time. I told her I bought a new Escalade the other day to come over here to Atlanta. And I said, uh, if I, I'm counting on you to settle my cases so I could pay the notes. But uh, it, the thing about this, Michael, is just there's so many great people here. And I want to thank you for this conference. But this is a wonderful place to meet people. You know, we met at CRISP and it's one of the best decisions in my life joining CRISP. But meeting people like Rupal and Eric make it even extra special than Joe and everybody that's in this group and organization. Thank you. Thank you. Harlan, I know you've trademarked a few, a few phrases like what you don't know, you don't know, but you've also said, you know, credibility is everything. I know when you speak, you've often shared this. If you could unpack that, what, what do you mean by that? Well, the backbone of my thinking is that I believe you talk to the public the way you would a jury. When you go to court, and I'm using this as an analogy, when you go to court and you're in trial and you're in battle, you have to be affable, friendly, likable, knowledgeable, credible. And if you can take that frame of mind and you put it into other things, your advertising and such, that's, that's where I'm at with that. It's just a good analogy. It's an analogy that sticks. It's worked. It's frankly worked for me for a number of years. Uh, more importantly, it's worked for everybody that I've worked with. It doesn't fit everyone. But understand and, and, and just think about it. I mean, we just spent the day, most of the day, watching all of these great videos. And what makes them great is that you're, you're, you're telling a story in an honest way to people. And so to unravel it, to undo it, that's the analogy that I make. And I think that if you understand going to court, 
if you've been in that situation and you've, you know what it takes to win a trial, you've got to put the work in, you've got to be authentic, you carry that over. Yes, that's the message. What's, what could be harder than to convince a jury that your client needs this for the rest of their life? That's a challenge. Make every part of it, make every part of your marketing and your fabric with that attitude. And, and I imagine a lot of people hearing this, they're, they're hearing credibility, saying, I want to be credible. What, what separates people who, let's say, aren't credible from those who well, are credibility credible? Credibility is earned. Everything is earned. You know, you talked a lot about SEO and SEO, and I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, SEO is the slow path. But in life, you have to earn credibility. You don't appear on the set for the first time as an expert. I mean, it's got to take you, what, a long time. You got to have a success track record. It's how you deal with people. But authenticity, credibility, means that you know what you're talking about, it's true, it works, and people believe it, and, it, you, and you, what you've really done is you've changed something through that action. And that's how you, I believe, gain credibility. You don't wake up and come up with something and, okay, it's credible. You gotta go through the process to come out the other side to be credible. You gotta earn it. And you know, we talk a lot about brand, but brand and reputation are almost synonymous. Well, brand, you know, uh, and, and, and Jeff Bezos came up with this. Uh, it's been said many times. Brand is what people think of you when you're out of the room. I mean, think of all the conversations that you've had, you know, with people and they walk out of the room and you say, oh, yeah, what about that guy or this? Well, that's not really true. Well, that's really great. He's a wonderful guy. That's, you know, that's the portrayal of brand. And, but brand seriously is what people think of you and what they remember of you, and, and what, what they, they f are left with. You know, we, we know what Disney's brand is, because they've instilled it with Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse, I, Jeff told me this, uh, Meltzer told me this, that Mickey Mouse is the number one figure in, in Florida. In the Gators, he told me, where is he, is number two. Uh, you said that to us last night. And Jeff's number and, three. And, and, yeah. <laughs> And, and so that's what brand is. Advertising, and I've said this on in several of your panels, advertising is a tactic. But brand is everything. All right, I want to start asking some hard questions. So I want to ask each of you, and Alex, I'll start with you, because this is one of those things, I think everyone perks up when you mention this, but there are a lot of changes happening in the, in the legal industry. And where we see the shift to non-lawyer firm ownership, what, what changes do you think that will create? What, um, how should a, a law firm owner here prepare for what you believe will happen in the next few years? I think that the, the legal industry is definitely changing, and I have spent a lot of time paying attention to that, Michael. I think that um, as a legal space, we all need cases, and that's one of the most important things, obviously, if we don't get cases. But what is happening in Arizona and with all this money coming in from the hedge funds, everybody wants to get in this space. And I think it's going to be, we have to be smart and we have to pay attention to those things, but it's, it's becoming 100% a digital world, Michael. And so I think you've got to stay in the digital space. I think you, the most important thing for everyone in this room is you, you can't stop all these lead generation companies coming in. You can't stop anyone who wants to get in the space who's trying to capture these leads that we all want, whatever space you're in. 
And we have to go out, we have to find these people, we have to build relationships with these people, and we have to learn how to do a different way of acquiring our cases. I think what's also important to counteract that is to make as many relationships as you can in this space and people work with people they like and people they trust. And that is the most important thing. And when you were talking about the brand a second ago, everybody in this room needs to remember, you're the brand too. So you've got your brand of your law firm, but you're the brand. And I have spent most of my life understanding that. And I don't lie to my clients. I don't lie to my folks. I, I don't lie to my people that work for me. You're not gonna attract Sarah Williams. Sarah wouldn't stay, stay with me for a week if I wasn't an honest person and I've been here for eight years with her. So you have to remember that's the most important thing. But to kind of back wrap it up, it's going all digital. We've gotta be careful. And if you don't find these people, you don't work with these people, you don't find these sources, you're not gonna get any cases traditionally. I mean, I'm the traditional king, billboards, radio, television, you're always gonna see them because the people who have them, like myself, we're never gonna let them go because we're attached to them and we're married to them and we're scared somebody may buy them, but you're not gonna get your cases like that anymore. I wanna make sure you guys heard that. So Alex, would it be fair to say that you are the largest traditional advertiser in the state of Alabama? In Alabama? Yes, yes sir. And I believe the second most recognizable human being in the state of Alabama behind Nick Saban? Yes, sir. So, and you're saying, being the largest traditional advertiser, that it's all going digital. I'm saying I'm off 35% in the last five years in Alabama, even though I haven't spent one penny less in Alabama, because traditional, from a branding perspective, yes, but it's not going to, we're getting poached. What is happening in this world, I, I'm just giving an example. I, been to Dallas once in my life. I don't have any billboards, I don't have any television, I don't have any radio. I'm sorry if there's any Texas floors out here. Um, I go in the first month last year and digitally I got 70 cases from Dallas. So what does that tell you? That means I took 70 cases. Now I have an office there and a Texas lawyer obviously, but that's 70 cases that the Texas lawyers didn't get. But that's the same thing that's happened to me in Alabama. There is no more, this is my state. It's, everybody's just taking cases from everybody. Everybody's poaching cases. If a hundred gets stolen from Alabama and they're stolen from you or taken away from you, you better find out and go find those hundred cases somewhere else or you're, you're just never gonna be able to grow your business. But there are some good people out there who are ethical and do digital space correctly and if you find those people but you got to constantly be looking for those folks and you have to understand what you're willing to pay for those cases but they're valid cases and then you pay them for them and then you acquire them and then you work them and you work them up correctly and, and you know works out for the client works out for everyone and Rupal I want, I want to come back to you one I want to get your thoughts on non-lawyer firm ownership but two I think one of the areas where you guys really differentiated your firm is being, you know, customer service just obsessed. I know you've done the Joey Coleman stuff. If you kind of speak to why you decided to really shift that focus to uh, client experience, customer service, and the impact that it's made. Because that's everything. You have to engage, connect with your clients because at the end of the day, it's that experience that they have. I mean, you can get them a fantastic settlement, 
you know, verdict, whatever, you can do that for them, but they're going to remember how you treated them during that process. They're going to remember if you listened to them, if you were there for them. Did you tell them what to expect? Did you inform them all along that journey? And in, in terms of client service, it's from the first call that's made to your firm. Is your team living up and aligned with your core values? Are they engaging? Are they connecting? Are they listening to the client? Because in terms of our clients, when they're reaching out to us, it's their darkest time in their life. You know, it's a significant personal injury. They may have lost a job or not be able to work that job, not be able to provide for their family. And you need to feel that. You need to be there for them and be there for them throughout that journey and even thereafter. And what's going to happen is that ultimately being that good person pays dividends because they're going to be your biggest ambassador out there. We've had so many clients come back and, number one, put positive reviews out there. And that attracts the right people at your firm as well because they're like, wow, these guys are different. They really care. And so not only that, but they're putting out those positive reviews. They're doing client testimonials for you. But then they're recommending friends and families to you as well. And then what happens there? Your cost of acquisition goes down significantly. So it's a, it's a no-brainer in terms of treating our clients how you want to be treated. Treat them like family. Do right by them. Thank you. And Alex, similar note. Obviously, you can't be involved with every single case. I, mean, I know you guys are bringing like, what, 1,000 plus cases a month? So you can't personally, 2,000 cases a month, my apologies. Uh, I know you can't be personally involved with every single one, but how do you make sure that there's a consistent standard, a consistent client experience at the firm when you personally can't be involved? Well, we obviously have some, you know, policies and procedures in place, but, you know, I, I'm very close to all my lawyers and, and my lawyers understand that how important and, and the time we're in. I guess the thing that I have educated my lawyers about constantly over the last few years is explaining to them the climate we're in, where we're headed, the direction we're going, and making sure that we're all on the same page. And of course, they work with their staff so they understand. But clients are valuable and they're very difficult to get these days. And like Rupal said, I mean, you have to treat them with the very best care, attention. You know, we do the all the little things too, like we send out swag boxes, we try to hit them with a brand, then, you know, reminder of the brand, the kindness, then you want to give them the best legal service. I mean, it takes a lot of different things to really connect with those clients and keep them coming back and understanding. But I think the most important thing is being involved. You know, I know a lot of lawyers across the country and they, they want to know why things are not working well or why they're not growing. And the one consistent theme that, I, that I'm known for and the things that I tell them, I mean, absentee ownership does not work in this business. I mean, you have to be the person that's in your business. You own the business, you run the business, you work the business, you help your lawyers, like Joe was saying. And I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, the joke is I've made a lot of millionaires myself in my firm, you know? and those people buy in and then the younger guys follow them and then the younger guys follow them. But you have to take care of your clients first. One of the things that, and I've said this to you the very first time I met you and I've witnessed it over and over again, he invests in his people. He invests, you go to conferences where with the hands-on conferences that, are, that are, tend to be expensive to go to, you'll see Alex Gennaro's people there you'll see them constantly working on getting better and better and better, and it comes from you. So that's one of the things that differentiates your firm is your people, you invest in your people. Thank you. And, I, and I've seen it. 
And I, pre I personally appreciate that. You know, uh, a thing that Rupal said is, is, is spot on. It's so easy to say, well, people want to be treated well and you want to treat people. And if you treat people, it's nice. You know, it's really a cultural thing. But I believe that the most significant difference between you and you is how the client feels and their experience. You've harped away on it. You spent a fair amount of time today, you know, talking about it. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. But I can't emphasize it, you know, more and more. It's just it's. It's the competitive edge. And what is going on, you know, the traditional media, you know, in my world is always going to be a place for television, billboards, and Alex, you believe that, and Rupal, you know, you spend a fair amount of money. But the digital world is, is seriously upon us, and we have to really figure out how we're going to message, how we're going to talk to people in it. And, and when you talk about it's going digital, it's the digital society is here already. I mean, you can look up anything. People, the, People don't do business, or you think about how many times you go to Google, or you look at a product, or you shop a product. Think about how many times you really use the computer. Um, and social media, you know, we spend, what, eight hours a day on Facebook? And, it, it, you know, so that's a medium that we're, and I'm not trying to pick out on Facebook, but that's an eight hour space that you have a chance to talk to people. We're in a real shift right now. I mean, you got a younger generation coming in in law. You got an older generation that, you know, that may get out. Uh, we talked about corporate money coming in. Uh, so, you know, the bottom line is it's seriously about people. That's the most competitive edge that you have in this world because the best case that's going to walk into your office is through referral. It may not be the biggest, but it's going to be one of the best because you got a stable client. You got all the, all the right things going on. Think about that. Just think about that. Think about who you want. And the wonderful thing, the thing I learned about advertising is you get what you ask for. Take that home. One minute left. So if I may, just a quick fire question. We'll go down, down the line just to hear from each of you. I know you've been giving a lot of great insights to people. Um, I am curious. I want to flip it uh, the other way. If you'd be open to sharing, what's been the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Because I think there's something to be learned from that. Alex. Worst piece of advice that I've ever received? Don't invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> there you go. I'm being honest. When you got that advice. It depends when you got that advice. <laughs> or or sell, I've, sell I, I've lost ten million dollars. <laughs> uh, in regards to the law practice, probably uh, seriously. A few years before I got into the billboards, they told me uh, every lawyer I ever, and I ever spoke to in Alabama about it said that uh, outdoor advertising uh, doesn't work, it won't brand you, and nobody will get to know you, and you're wasting your money. Just keep it on the TV and the radio. <laughs> Thank you. Rupal. I would say overanalyzing your marketing optics, like you were talking about previously, like trying to measure how many leads you're getting from that social media. That doesn't work. It's a holistic approach. It's frequency and it's inundating folks with billboards, with radio, with television, and everywhere on social media. Joe? Don't get emotionally connected to your clients. Keep your clients at arm's length. And, and I just want real quick comment on the other question about the future. Don't forget the now. Don't forget the now. The future's coming. He said 20 to 40 years. I don't know how the hell long it's gonna take. The money's gonna pour into this industry. Find your passion, concentrate on your passion, 
and there's always gonna be room for you. You're gonna beat the corporate people with your passion. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review and share this podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner. And you know what? Maybe more than one. I want to give a huge thank you to Rupal, Joe, Alex, and Harlan for taking the time to share their wisdom with us at the Game Changers Summit. For more information, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time for a special edition of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast featuring some of the nation's top women legal leaders and hosted by the one and only Jessica Mogul. I think it's important for us to just continue doing what we're doing and, and continue to be visible, but to also educate on, you know, things that like make women less likely to participate because we're in a position where we can have those honest conversations, right? Nobody's gonna take a job from from us. So we can say the things that some of our younger counterparts cannot so that they don't necessarily have to experience some of the things that we experience. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Mm